It's good to be with you. Great to see you. Um, as Alan said, my name's Sam. I'm part of the staff team here at STC. Um, and I'm just going to be sharing a, a thought from the Bible this morning. Um, and um, if you've been around... Uh, since I think it was from September, we've been looking at this series of uh, family values, like what, what's important to us as a church, what do we value, what do we honour, um, and uh, this morning we're going to be picking up with that again, um, and across all our gatherings today, we're going to be looking at um, one thing in particular, we're going to be looking at why it's so important to open the Word, to read the Bible um, in community, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Um, But before we kick off and get into anything else, first of all, let me just say what I mean by community. Um, By community, I mean reading the Bible with anyone, with friends, with family, in church, at small group, at midweek group, at clusters, at cells, whatever you call them, at the pub, with a friend on your own or with a group of people. Anytime we read the word with others, we read the Bible in community, and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. So before we dive into the passage, um, I want to ask you a question, just to get us thinking this morning. I want to ask us a question. What does your perfect morning look like? What does your perfect morning look like? This morning, I was just preaching at the 9am and afterwards someone grabbed me and said um, their perfect morning was when they woke up and they didn't feel any pain in their body. Um, which was a really sweet moment, actually. Um, But I don't know what your perfect morning looks like. Maybe um, just as you begin to think, a picture begins to form in your mind. Maybe it's uh, just a figment of your imagination, or maybe it's a real-life moment that happened. Maybe it's a real morning that happened in your life, and you remember it as an amazing morning. Maybe it was a Christmas morning when you were growing up. Maybe it was a Christmas morning with children or with family. Whatever it may be, just begin to paint it in your mind. Maybe you're all about the lion, that extra couple of hours in bed. Maybe you love to get up and seize the day, make the most of it. Maybe you're all about a coffee when you get up, or maybe you're more of a cup of tea kind of person. Is it a pleasant summer's morning, or is it a a frosty winter's day? What's the weather like? Are you on your own? Are there loads of people around? Are the kids running riot? Are you sitting? Are you standing? Are you in a comfy chair? Are you in your favorite spot? Wherever you are, have you got a drink? Are you sat down? Are you comfortable? You take a sip of your drink of choice and you just think, ah, this is the life. I wonder what your perfect morning looks like. So let me tell you about mine. My perfect morning involves a little bit of a lion. I like it when um, you forget to turn off your alarm and then it goes off and it wakes you up, but then you realize that you don't have anywhere to be and you can just stay in bed. That's one of my favorite things, I don't know about you. Um, but then I do reach a point where I just I want to get up and get on with things and I want to get out of bed. I, I think I get sick of being horizontal. I like being vertical, so I have a desire to get up and to move around. Um, my perfect morning, I'll then put on my my new dressing gown that I got for Christmas. I'll make myself a coffee. Um, I'll go downstairs and I'll sit. Um, It would be a a summer's day, you know, when the sun's shining through the windows and it just warms you up and it's really nice and kind of you get that greenhouse effect. That is my perfect morning. Sat in my new dressing gown with a coffee, a bite to eat in the summer's sun. 
That's my dream morning, and I wonder what yours was like. And I wonder if in your perfect morning, you reached for the Bible. I wonder if in your perfect morning, you grabbed the Bible and started to read. I wonder if you're working your way through um, a book of the Bible or a specific devotional series, or maybe you've got the Bible app on your phone and you're working your way through a series on there and you kind of get these allocations every day of what you need to read. Maybe you're a fan of the Bible one year. Maybe you love Nicky Gumbel waking you up in the morning with his um, lovely Kensington accent. Um, and let's say 10, 15 minutes pass by, you've, you've read your allocation for the day. Um, job's done, tick. Let's get on with the rest of the day. I wonder if that sounds familiar. I wonder if that is part of your morning routine or your perfect morning. Because more often than not, that what I've just described is pitched as the ideal way for us to approach and to read the Bible. On our own, in the morning, a cup of tea or a coffee, a warm house in a comfy chair, 10, 15 minutes to start the day. Then you're set for the rest of the day. And don't get me wrong, those times are so important and they are vital to our walk with Jesus. But this morning, my hope is that we would realize that that is a very modern phenomenon. That it's only in the past couple of hundred years that it has even been an option. And for the vast majority of people, and therefore the history of the people of God, the perfect morning with the Bible that we've just dreamt up in our minds wasn't actually possible for most people. For a start, universal literacy is also a very recent development. For example, in, um, in 1800, only 40% of men and 60% of women could read and write. So that's pretty much half of the population who could not read 200 years ago. Then you add in the fact that until 1611, the Bible wasn't even available um, or written or published in English. And then you factor in the fact that books as we know them now weren't even a thing until around about the 15th century with the invention of the printing press. So consider that for most of history, or at the very least in Britain, the majority of people could not read. The majority of people could not read the Bible for themselves or access it in their own language or even have a copy at all. Now let's revisit that perfect morning that we've just dreamt up in our minds. It sounds a little bit crazy, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit crazy of the position that we may be in. To, have, uh, to live in a house that's warm, hopefully, but to have in one hand a drink and in the other the very word of God sounds a little bit crazy, and it makes you think. And it makes you think, how did people do it before? Don't you think we ought to ask that question, how did people do it before? The, the disciples who knew Jesus, the early church, and the spread of Christianity through the Roman Empire, into the Middle Ages, and even to the present day, um, with people who struggle to read on their own. Just how if we place such a high value on reading the scriptures, how did people engage with the word? How did they hear? How did they read? How did they learn? How did they study, discuss, and wrestle with the scriptures? And from that question, I wonder if we have something to learn. 
Because people used to hear the Bible read to them out loud, or they understood stories through um, images or paintings or stained glass windows, which this room gives plenty of examples from, which depict biblical stories. But the primary way that people heard the word read from Moses' time through the New Testament and then on for another 1,500 years or so was the public and communal reading of Scripture. And as a result of all these things that I've just said, I think it's fair to suggest that the Bible was written, designed, and intended to be read and heard publicly and communally. And even though reading it for ourselves is so important, it's amazing, it's life-giving, and it's transformative, actually, if we're not reading the Bible in community, then we've missed out on something that God has in store for us. And there's a clear biblical mandate for this through the scriptures. Really quickly, there's just a couple of things that I want to point out. So first, as the Israelites flee Egypt, um, Exodus 17, 14 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, write this down as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. Then there's the giving of the law and Moses verbally shares everything that God has spoken to him. And he writes down the covenantal agreement in the Israelites' presence. And then Exodus 24, 3 says, Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord. And then it kind of becomes part of a, um, the weekly and yearly and the festival rhythms of the Israelite people. It becomes part of their practice and that people would hear the words um, spoken to them, that they would um, communally hear it. Then, if you remember, if you were around last year, we looked at the book of Nehemiah, and um, there's an important point when um, Nehemiah and Ezra introduced the reading of the word again in a public forum. And then jumping into the New Testament era, you may remember Jesus begins his public ministry with the public reading of Scripture. He's, he's in the temple and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah and reads from Isaiah 61 and says, Today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Then Paul speaks in the apostolic age, and in his letters he asks um, the people who are receiving them to read them to the church and to the community. And in 1 Timothy 4.13 it says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. So it's clear to see that there is a significance and an importance of the communal reading of Scripture. There's a mandate. It's something that's good for us. It's good for God's church, and it's something to be encouraged. But why is this significance now? In present-day Britain, where literacy is near universal, biblical access is pretty much totally unrestricted, why should we do it? Why should we open the Bible together in community? And this morning, my hope is that we're going to use 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4 to discover something of God's heart for us in reading the Bible in community. And we're going to read the passage in just a second, but there's just three things that I want us to um, draw upon. And three reasons why we should open the Bible in community. The first of which is that it helps train us in righteousness. The second is that it avoids itching ears. And I'll explain what I mean by itching ears in just a moment. And three, it equips us to be prepared to preach the word in and out of season. So I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 4, 5, and the words will come on the screens behind me. Feel free to follow along. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. 
and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just going to take this up a little bit further. There we go. So, what a passage. Um, the three things that I want us to talk about really briefly this morning. So first is opening the word in community helps train us in righteousness. Now, I first moved to Sheffield when I was uh, 18 in 2016. I moved here for uni um, and spent three years here doing a history degree. Uh, had an amazing time, fell in love with this city and its people. Um, and I knew that long term I wanted to be, to be back here and to, um, and to work here and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I just felt the sense that after I'd graduated, I wanted to go away and do something a little bit different. Um, post school and like 18 years of back-to-back education, I kind of wanted to do something where I didn't have to worry about writing an essay or doing an assignment or any exams for a little bit of time, um, which I'm incredibly grateful for. So I, I looked around, um, asked some friends, had a look online, um, and ended up uh, doing an internship at a church in Hackney in East London. Um, and as part of the year, I got put up in um, a house with the other interns who were doing the same kind of program as me. And um, on moving day, slowly but surely, we began to arrive um, to the house we'd be living in for the year. And, you know, some of us had just finished uni. Some people had just finished school. They were like 18. Um, some people had been living in and around the London area for a while but wanted to do something different. So decided to, um, to do this, this internship. Um, and as we were getting to know each other, we were just chatting about like where we'd come from. Um, and I was, I was like, I've come from the West Midlands, but I lived in Sheffield for a little while. Some people have come from Manchester and Bolton and Stoke. Um, and then there was one person who had come from the Isle of Wight. Um, and we thought, wow, that's nice and exotic, isn't it? Um, in comparison to Stoke, Bolton, Manchester and the West Midlands. Um, but there was also in this house a couple, and um, they'd been newly married, and they had a six-month-old baby. And they'd come all the way from Perth, Western Australia, to come and be part of this internship at this church in London. So they'd flown halfway around the world with a six-month-old, newly married. They were both 23, um, newly married, young with a baby. They'd flown halfway around the world to take part in this program. It's pretty wild. <laughs> The dad, his name was Riley, um, Taylor was the mom, and the baby was called Evie. 
She was about six months old when she came over. Now she's about four. Um, but she was the cutest and most adorable little thing. So there's this wonderful mix of people who are living in this house together. Um, we're working together. We're living together and everything in between. And over the course of the year, inevitably, we got to know each other pretty well. Because I'm sure you can agree, when you live with someone, you see them at their best and also at their worst. And with Riley, Taylor, and Evie, who come from Australia, I watched them navigate raising a baby away from family, away from their friends, away from their support network, away from everything they had ever known, 9,000 miles away from home in an alien place. And I watched them navigate this. And I learned from these guys how to love each other well what it is to put one another first. And particularly, I learned from Riley what it meant to be a, a good husband and what it looked like to be a good dad. And how to do that when not everything is going your way, when, when money's tight, when family are half the world away, and when life is busy. And I learned from these guys what it looks like to uproot everything and to follow the call that God's placed on your lives. To not lose that sense of adventure, even when everyone else might think you're a little bit crazy. Taking a six-month-old baby, the, their first child, their parents' first grandchild, halfway around the world at six months old for a year, it doesn't sound the most sensible. But when the Lord calls, you have to go. You see, when we get alongside people in this way, we see them at the highs and we see them at the lows, through the good times and the bad, and through the real-life stuff that happens. And we learn from people, and we grow, and we watch, and we learn, and we are trained in righteousness. We are trained in being Jesus' disciples, and we are trained to live as his hands and his feet here on the earth. And it's the same when we open the word with others. We see how the words have changed their lives. How the words of scripture have transformed them, have shaped them, have molded them. And it gives passages we've read a million times, they take on a whole new meaning. They take on a whole new lease of life. The words become alive to us because we see them rooted in real life, in reality. Because it's here when we see the word lived out, when it's not just something that's conceptual and uh, something that is just about knowledge or understanding. It's not abstract, it's real. When we're hearers of the word, but also doers, like the man who builds his house on a solid foundation on the rock that Jesus talks about, when he hears the word, but he puts it into practice. Because when we read the Bible with others, we learn how to be better disciples. We learn how to love Jesus more. We learn how to love people more and how to follow his word more closely. Because opening the word in community and with others trains us in righteousness. Just as I was trained as a disciple being around Riley and Taylor. Because we are trained in righteousness. That's number one. Moving on quickly. Number two. Opening the word in community avoids itching ears. I love this phrase. I think it's so fun. And you'll recall in um, 
in verse 3 of chapter 4, it says, um, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. To suit their desires, they will gather around them people who say what their itching ears want to hear. I wonder if that sounds a little bit familiar for, for you this morning, because it certainly can do for me. Are we gathering around us people who will say what we want to hear? Are we only listening to certain voices? Are we only talking and spending time to, with people that we agree with? Do we only read passages of Scripture and bits of the Bible that match up with what we think? And do we just pretend the other stuff isn't there? Or do we only read the bits that align with our own beliefs or our own worldview or our own political opinions? I wonder if that is true for some of us this morning, because I know that it can be for me. Or when we read the word, do we fall under its authority? Are we coming with open minds and open hearts, allowing God to move us and to speak to us. And I wonder when the last time was that we let the Bible prove us wrong. The last time we let the Bible change our minds, change our way of thinking, rather than just using it to affirm what we think is right or true. It's a big challenge. But when we open the word in community, we can avoid getting itchy ears. 2 Timothy 3.16 basically gives us the basis for what scripture is, and it says um, it's God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it's to be used so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Because you see, most of these things happen in community. We are taught, we are corrected, and we are rebuked in love primarily by others. And it's in community and we open the word that we can come with an openness and a vulnerability that allows our hearts to be shaped and transformed. And it's, it's when we let go of the idols that we built and we, we let our ego down, we let our pride fall. And that's when people can teach us into what it means to live for Jesus, to correct us when we're not walking on the right path or when we're straying from the truth and to rebuke us gently with love when our hearts are cold and heartened to his grace. And these things train us in righteousness. Because if we're reading the word on our own, and we should, but we miss out on these vital aspects of our discipleship and what it is to engage with the word. Or more often than not, we only read what we want to read. And even if we do those bits, sometimes we can over-contextualize them to make them fit what we want them to and affirm our own ideas and decisions. And I know that that for a long time has been true for me. But actually, when we read the Bible in community, we allow ourselves to fall under its authority. And in doing so, we open ourselves, um, as Timothy writes to Paul in this passage, to great patience and careful instruction from others. Because you see, opening the word in community helps us avoid getting itchy ears. And finally, opening the word in community equips us to be prepared to preach the word in and out of season. So I got married last summer. 
Um, and after getting married, um, got to have a bit of time off to like go on honeymoon and um, sort out the house and just enjoy married life for a little while before getting back into the swing of things with work. And um, as I've mentioned, I'm the worship leader here. So as you can imagine, a lot of um, I lead worship a lot and play guitar and sing often. And um, as a church and as a team, we have a rhythm that we pray um, Monday through to Thursday, um, pretty much every, every week of the year. Um, and usually I'm leading in some capacity with that. But this, this summer, just gone, as, as we got married, we um, kind of stripped that back a little bit. Um, and we didn't have sung worship at those times of prayer. So I'd, I'd been away and got married, been on honeymoon, had some time off. Um, we hadn't uh, had sung worship and I hadn't been leading in that capacity at prayers all of summer. So it was about five or six weeks. And then we come back in September and um, we're kind of back into the normal rhythm of things. And I pick up the guitar and um, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And we begin to sing. And um, the first time I've sang in a while, and literally two lines in, my voice just completely gives out to the point where, you know when you're trying to sing and just nothing comes out and you just try and make noise, but it's really painful and jarring and it's not pleasing to anybody, um, especially those who've got to um, stand there and hear you try and do it for a couple of minutes. Um, and I tried to play it cool. I tried to keep it chill. Um, but then also what happened, what made it ever so slightly more problematic, was that my fingers just began to give way. And if you know anything about um, playing guitar or know anyone that's playing guitar, you'll know that in the first couple of weeks and months of learning how to play, you build up like resistance in your fingers and in your hands from pressing the pressure on the strings. But funnily, funnily enough, that goes a little bit after time. And I didn't play guitar in about two months. And my fingers felt like they were going to fall off. It was awful. And they were buzzing all over the place. The strings were sounding terrible and over time that built up but after a while it goes um, and over the summer it just vanished basically it wasn't a fun time and the thing I learned from this was that I wasn't prepared to sing I wasn't prepared to play the guitar that morning my fingers were out of practice and on the whole I was just totally unready and unequipped and sometimes we can feel like this in life we can feel unready, unprepared, even unmotivated for the Christian life. At least I know I can feel like that. But actually, the encouragement that Paul brings to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus and to us today is to be prepared to preach the word of God in and out of season. To preach the word in and out of season. And when we open the word in community, we are continually filling our minds with the things above. We're setting our eyes and our minds on God's heart. And we're being encouraged and built up in our walk with Jesus. So that in and out of the seasons of life that we find ourselves in, whether that's one where, um, I don't know, you're seeing people set free and saved every day. You're just walking down the street and people are being healed. Or maybe you're longing for that. Or maybe you're in a season of life where you've kind of ruled yourself out. Um, maybe life's really busy at the moment. Maybe you've got so much stuff going on. And you just feel unprepared in this season. Opening the word in community can help us to stay ready. It can help us to be prepared in and out of season to preach the word of God to a world that so desperately needs it. So there are the three things. When we open the word in community, we're trained in righteousness. We avoid getting itchy ears, 
and we're prepared to preach the gospel and be equipped in and out of season. And to finish, I just want to read this passage to us one more time. And maybe you just want to close your eyes if you find that helpful. And just as we begin to still ourselves, I'd love you just to ask God by his spirit to illuminate something that he wants to speak to you this morning. To illuminate a particular phrase or word or passage that he just wants to lay on your heart. And just a reminder that God is a loving and gentle father. And he's, he's not here to wag his finger but he's here to hold out his hand. It's an invitation into the more, into the depths of who he is. So here again is 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their heads, their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. And let's just take a moment in the quiet now. Maybe you just want to ask the Lord to search your heart again this morning. Ask him to point out and illuminate and just put his finger on something that's not quite right. Ask him to show you which of these things might be true in our lives at the moment. Do we need the words to train us in righteousness? Are there things, habits, people in our lives we know aren't going to stay on that path. Do we find ourselves in an echo chamber? Do we find ourselves only reading and hearing what suits our desires rather than allowing all of Scripture to shape us and form us? And are we ready and prepared to preach the good news? in this season that we're in now, whether that is good or bad, and in every season.